You're listening to Kevin Stock Radio. All right, so I have Dr. Sean Baker here with me today. Doesn't need much of an introduction. Uh, so, first of all, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. It's a big day for you. Your book launch comes out today. You just announced the new website, meetrx.com. Uh, so fit me in for a podcast is quite an honor. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Kevin. And I, and I really appreciate what you've done for the community as well. You've been a, a great source and wealth of information. And, and I've heard people constantly referring to your stuff. So I think it's it, it just it's great to, 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 to be on the podcast. And yeah, it's a hectic day. I'm, I'm like multitasking and doing everything possible because I'm getting a lot, of, a lot of stuff sent my way right now. But uh, yeah, I, I absolutely glad I got to take the time out to chat. Cool. So before the, this morning, when I got up, I asked the social media universe, I told them, you know, we were going to have this podcast and just to get uh, people's questions about the book uh, specifically, and then just questions for you in general. So I got a good long list here of questions from, uh, from the social media people. But I, so the first chapter in your book is called my story. So it's, it's your story. And there's a question about your story. I had, the book came in last night, so I've not had a chance to read it. So okay. no spoilers for me. Uh, but in that chapter, uh, there's a question about your story that, that I, that I'm very curious about. So I guess it's been over three years ago, a friend sent me a message and he said, man, there's this doc on Joe Rogan. Who's eating a diet just like you. Have you heard of Dr. Sean Baker? And at the time I had not. So, uh, you know, I, I watched Rogan and, you know, I, I didn't know there was this name, the carnivore diet. And maybe that, maybe you came up with that name. Uh, but ever since that podcast came out, it seems like there was this, this strange, you know, diet that I was tinkering with. It became like a movement. It's still a small movement, relatively speaking to maybe the plant-based diet movement out there. Uh, but was that kind of the, would you say impetus for just massive growth or, or, or what? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I guess, coined the term the carnivore diet. I mean, a lot of people were calling it, uh, you know, the zero carb. Diet. Zero carb, yeah. All, yeah. And, and that's, you know, those guys, credit credit to guys like Charles Washington, those yeah. guys that started their Facebook group 10, 10 years prior. And yeah. uh, I just, I found that name confusing because, you know, there are a lot of things that are zero carb that, that aren't it's really. It's not, yeah. You know, like, you know, because corn oil is zero carb. So, and, and, you right. know, so we kind of, I kind of just said, well, I'm just going to call it. You know, carnivores, it's, it's, kind of, it's more of a, I guess, a more catchier name, I suppose. It, yeah. it, you know, it, it gives you the, the idea that you're basically eating meat. And I think that's what, what it really, really is trying to imply. And, you know, there's, you know, there's people that will say, you know, you don't have pointy, pointy fangs and claws. And, you know, that's silliness that we hear right. from the, sort of the vegan folks. But, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, as a physician, as a, you know, a pretty decent athlete, as someone, you know, was training pretty hard and demonstrating that you could do pretty well and, and, and obviously doing – very publicly what other people think a little bit on the crazy side. Yeah. I guess I got the attention of, of Joe Rogan somehow and he just invited me on the show. And obviously he's got this monstrously huge platform. And at the time I didn't really, know, I, I didn't really appreciate it. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't I'd rather, but didn't really pay attention much to Joe and didn't really know the influence he had. So I just went up there and kind of chatted and, you know, right. made a deal out of it. And obviously it got a lot of attention and then it's just kind of spiraled from there. And I've kind of become sort of a, uh, kind of a de facto figurehead for this this movement, so to speak, and you know, I, you know, I'm doing my best to try to promote it, uh, you know, to as many people as possible. And so, 
Yeah, I mean, it's growing uh, really in an exponential rate. And I think, the, well, as you know, I mean, the results kind of speak for themselves. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what's really propelling this. And I think we're going to yeah. continue to see further and further growth in this area. I think, it's, I think, it's, I think the, the upside growth in this is pretty unlimited for, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention is, so something about you that just strikes me as much as anything is, and I, maybe it's a natural inborn character, but like you are a phenomenal leader. Uh, meaning, cause I, I think we see on social media, we see, you know, the Sean Baker, who's incredibly intelligent, very articulate. You practice what you preach, which I think are all qualities of a good leader. But maybe the, what people don't see behind the scenes is that, you know, you are messaging, calling up, whether it's doctors or influencers and really rallying the troops, uh, and I think like a distinguishing characteristic of a leader is someone that does, you know, rallies troops around a mission. And I think, you know, if nothing else, that, that is why you've become so much of the face of this carnivore movement is you are just a phenomenal leader. So is that a natural quality or uh, just something that comes with when you're inspired with a mission? Well, I think it's, there's a little of both. I mean, obviously I spent time in the military learning to be a leader. Yep. I mean, I, you know, I, I was a, I was a Lieutenant Colonel. So you, you do have people under you. I was a, head of my orthopedic department. So I, I've, I've kind of had that role in the past. And, you know, I, like I said, I think that you are right. Nothing sort of moves masses like people that practice what they preach and, and yeah. can be an inspiration. And, um, you know, I've known very from the beginning that what I was doing was very much controversial and I needed support. And so I, I tried to, you know, gather support and try to try to embrace and empower people themselves to step up. And, and I think that is what's, sort of you know kind of allowing this to happen and you know like i said my uh you know i do a lot of things that are i mean i kind of understand what needs to be done and i understand there's some hard work that has to be done and some of it is unpleasant some people criticize me for being uh controversial and, and i know that I, I understand what i'm doing i understand that that's going to irritate some people at the same time the greater amount of people it's going to going to motivate and it's going to get the message out there because this is such an important thing and we are at such a crucial time in you know I, I think there's you know I think there's been a few crucial dietary decisions that have been made you know you know 10,000 years ago when we said we're going to be agriculturalists and and then you know arguably when the industrial age came on and, and as we see with technology things happen at a more rapid pace and so now we're kind of you know everything seems to be compressed. And now we're making this great decision that we're all going to uh, change our biology and become herbivores. And I think that is, you know, I think that is just incredibly the wrong decision. I think we have to stand up and say something, and not, not just say something, but be very, very prolific about it, be very aggressive and vocal about it and say, look, we're not going that route. And I think the nice thing, again, we have these results that, you know, it's hard to deny people try to deny it and say, well, yeah. we don't have a peer reviewed randomized control trial. Therefore, whatever you say has no bearing whatsoever. But I think right. at some point people with common sense have to stand up and say, wait a minute, there's something going on. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been very much hands-on, you know, I, I answer almost every message somebody sends me, which is a, which is a daunting task. It is, I can't even imagine because it's daunting for me. And then, right. I mean, your social media presence right. is, Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, orders of magnitude more. <laughs> that's one. That's one of the reasons we. You know, I wanted to start this new set because I can't do it all. I mean, I just. Yeah. I, I have to delegate at some point, and and I think I'm reaching that point. But uh, 
Uh, yeah, I enjoy, uh, you know, getting the message out there and uh, it's fun for me. I, you know, I think that's a, the other thing about it. It's fun for me. I enjoy what I'm doing and I enjoy interacting with people and talking to people. And it's, it's everybody I've talked to has been very sort of open and receptive and, and many people are very passionate about this. So it's easy. I mean, it's very easy to talk to people when they're, when they all believe what you're, what you're trying to, you're not really selling them anything. You're just saying, Hey, we all believe in this list. Let's make it work. And I think that's the easy part. And really results do, you know, tend to speak for themselves. Uh, so a question I actually got from the, the social media today is, uh, someone said, you know, I'm healing. I feel so much better. Why, why am I healing? Uh, and I, you know, this is a loaded question. It's probably different for everyone, but if you were to say like, why are so many people getting healthy and feeling better? Uh, you know, what, what would you say, say to them? Well, I mean, I think if we put it in the context of a carnivorous diet or any healthy diet, I mean, you're getting you're getting rid of basically poison, you know, and you're eating food. I mean, that's I mean, that's a, that's a that's the simplest answer. People say well, it's only because you remove this stuff. I say, well, that's true, but you're also eating food you're supposed to eat, and and uh, I think it's as simple as that. I mean, I think that you know we are the only species that has chronic disease, basically, and it's, it's because arguably we've been misclassified on our dietary strategy, you know, strategy, perhaps. I mean, I, I you know, I I, I would say. If I were to characterize human beings, yes, we're omnivorous, but I think more importantly, we're facultative carnivores. And, right. You know, we do better when we eat, you know, high quality, nutrient dense food. And I think that's as simple as that. Yeah. And when you look, especially, you know, across species, humans and the animals we domesticate are really the only chronically sick animals. <laughs> so, I mean, that has something to say, you know, we're trying to outsmart nature, but sometimes that, uh, that, that, that can backfire. So you alluded to uh, meetrx.com there because one of the aspects of your new website is, uh, so there's, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to the book, but I do, I think it's important to, to mention this because this is launching today too. Uh, so you are, uh, there's some kind of training for people to become carnivore coaches to help spread that word for people who are needing help. Uh, because I can attest to, you know, when people are transitioning to, are trying this diet out, a lot of times people need help, you know, they're going to have questions. Uh, and I, and, you know, the saying is, you know, carnivore diet, eat meat, drink water. You know, it's a simple equation that is deceptively complex because there's a lot of questions and concerns and issues that arise from that. So this meetrx.com, you're going to have the ability for people to become coaches to help other people. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's that, that's a big aspect of it. And I think, and we have grand schemes on how we're going to really move this with, with next technology. And I'm very fortunate. Uh, my co-founder, uh, Maza Rostami is a, is a AI engineer, data scientist. She's very smart. She's also carnivore and very passionate. She's up in Silicon, Silicon Valley. And so we have a lot of hopefully connections in there on how to really, you know, sort of upscale this thing very quickly. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a community. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of community stuff in there. I mean, I think with diet, yes, there is that transition issue. There's a lot of questions. I mean, still to this day, I get the base, the most basic question. I think I've been saying this up for three years and still I get the bait. What vegetables are on the car? You know, I, I, so it's, there's, there, there's just so many people that can't, that haven't reach us that I just don't have the bandwidth to reach. And so I think we have to make it accessible, but I really importantly want to make sure people are all on the same page and we all yep. have understand the basic information. So we have a, you know, a formal training program. We go over the concepts in multiple forms and written form and video form with testing and mock interviews and all that stuff to get people certified. So we know we have coaches that are of a certain decent quality. So that when somebody uses them, we know they're going to give them the information that I, that 
I think is appropriate. Yep. Um, and so, so we've got that going on. And then, uh, you know, I think for people to succeed, particularly any diet long-term, it's nice to have that support. And so we want to give these people, you know, someone to talk to, you know, a month and two months and three months and whatever it may be. Uh, so they have that support from a coach that can, you know, maybe, maybe it's just somebody you need to, you know, like you're having some craving or you, you, you broke up with your boyfriend. You just need someone to talk, talk you down off the fence. <laughs> so we've got, we want to build in that support. So people, just, right. you know, they make it that critical period of time and that could be three months, six months a year, whatever it is to kind of really sort of get there. And then they change that relationship with food. And it's not that everybody needs to be like strict, hundred percent carnivore for the rest of their life. But I think we've got to get people off the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the eating pattern that we have, which is so incentivized by our food system and, and our culture and everything. We can get people away from that. It'll have tremendous impact on their health. But, you know, we're, we're, we're compiling. We already probably have the largest carnivore, you know, library, all this, you know, studies. We've got a great guy, uh, Dr. Phil Ovedia, who's a cardiothoracic surgeon, who's volunteered to help curate all this resource that we've been we've accumulating and adding to that continuously. Uh, we're going to start uh, hopefully accumulating our own research. You know, there's a study coming out. Uh, we're doing a carnivore study, and that's going to be with uh, uh, David Ludwig out of Harvard University. He's going to do that study, so it's going to be a big impact study. Um, you know, we haven't we haven't officially announced it yet, but that's what's going to happen. Um, we've got you know all, you know hundreds of recipes. We have chefs that have created some people that want a little variety. They they can do you know carnivore friendly foods. We've got. Um, you know, all the biggest library of success stories. This is what, what yeah. happens. It inspires people. We have, I took everything from meat up meat heels and the hundreds that were waiting to be published there. And then all the other ones we've got. So we've got hundreds of success stories. So almost any, any medical issue you've got, we can show you success story on that. So that's, that's the spot inspiring. And then, like I said, it's, it's just, uh, uh, my goal is to make this ex- as accessible to as many people as possible. And so we're trying to make it affordable you know, the, the, the aspect of coaching is kind of like, almost like an Uber driver. You know, you sort of do it in your spare, your spare time. You talk about it anyway. Why not, yeah. why not make a few bucks coaching people, helping people, and then we can grow this and then we can really get it to the masses because, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of this stuff where it's really expensive and I'm, I'm trying not to do that. I'm trying to make it affordable for as many people as possible because it's really not that complicated. But like you said, there are a lot of sort of just common questions, common issues that, I can only reach so many people and this is yep. my attempt to do this to spread it out as much as possible. And I think I got a lot of those, those common questions here, which I want to address, but I want to say like, I thought now and looking back on it, like I think it proves true that the meat heels is one of the smartest things that I think you could have possibly done because stories speak volumes. You know, you can throw out and say, look, here's a, a study and really one out of a thousand people are actually going to read that study in detail. Uh, but when you have story after story, people that other people can relate to say, I had that same problem. They got healthy doing it. It's probably, it's worth a try. Right. And I can't, I can't imagine how many people, how many people that convinced to, you know, give this way of eating a try is just, you know, anecdotal stories are powerful. No, absolutely. I mean, I agree hundred percent. I mean, that's, and that's why I started this. I mean, I, I, you know, I basically, I mean, you think about it. I went on Joe Rogan and I inspired, I don't know how many people to try it. And then we started seeing their success. I'm like, and it's just, that's how you're absolutely right. The people that are naysayers are going to say, show me the scientific paper. Well, we're going to have those later, but for now, uh, and, and by the way, any paper we put up, people are going to disagree with anyway. They're going to say, well, we disagree sure. because of that and that. So it ultimately comes into what is going to inspire the masses to do something. And you think about it. I mean, 
what is the downside to going out and eating, you know, a bunch of steaks or, you know, steaks and seafood and eggs and maybe some organ meats for, you know, a couple months? What is the real downside of trying this? And when you have literally thousands of people with have the exact same condition you do, that you've been going to doctor after doctor and being kicked around the medical system and everybody's trying all these tests and nothing works. And you've got somebody saying as simple as, hey man, maybe you should just change your diet for a few months. Let's see what that does. And then all of a sudden we're seeing people with multiple sclerosis, psoriasis, rheumatoid arthritis, you know, uh, you know, Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, you know, these crazy things that people are told, hey, you got it for life, it's never going away. And, and these people are getting better. And I know it sounds like mysticism and there's, you know, there's all these people coming <laughs> out this crazy stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, like I said, the, the, the negative sort of, you know, outcome of eating a bunch of steaks is not very bad at the right. point. You <laughs> ate a bunch of steaks, you know? People think, like, some people think like, oh, if I eat steaks for a month, am I going to have a heart attack? Like, uh, yeah, that's not going to develop in 30 days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's obviously, you know, and, and clearly there will be people on a carnivore diet that have a heart attack. There will be people that have cancer. That is just the law of averages and big numbers. And sure. You know, it's kind of like, what you would say is, well, how does that compare to the, to the to the general population? And my suspicion is we're probably going to see it's going to be much less. I mean, again, that's that's a little bit speculative on my part, but you know, just because you have one person that has a bad result doesn't mean the whole thing is is problematic. And it's yeah. positive of that. And I, you know, you'll see things where someone maybe they did a carnivore diet for a couple of years, but you forgot about the sixty years prior to that where they were eating junk, and it's. You know, you can do a lot of healing, but to erase, you know, 60 years of damage in a year or two is, you know, there's got to be some realistic expectations. I, I feel like there's some people that contact me that think like, you know, they meet for one week and they should be, you know, Superman <laughs> and jumping off rooftops and flying around. But uh, so, yeah, you'll have you'll have naysayers for sure, no, no matter what. Yeah, I mean that's with any any anything yeah. you do. I mean that's for sure. And I mean, interestingly, you know, and as you probably know, Kevin, there are people that get pretty quick, get pretty healthy pretty quick. Absolutely, I mean, that, that does occur. So, it, why it doesn't happen to every single person? Obviously, is going to be what's going on in the whole picture and, and that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean, I've seen people, you know, weekend and are like, my lifelong asthma went away or something. Yeah, I mean, and what I see often is so, they'll see such improvement in one area that was really plaguing them. And they might have some other things like we could talk about here in a little bit, like, oh, my, my training performance is down a little bit for a time, but I'm feeling so much better that they're not going to give it up. Uh, I, so I, sometimes I see something is so vastly improved so quickly that the other things that may take longer to adapt are worth wait, waiting, so to speak, uh, for those things to happen. So you brought up the organs, and I'm not going to say this is the most contentious thing within, like, this carnivore community, but there's some camps that think like, look, if you're not eating organ meats, you're, you, you're going to have deficiencies. You're going to have problems. Uh, they might not show up right away, but maybe down the road, I feel like we are in a similar camp here, but tell me your stance on organ meats and such. Yeah. I mean, clearly they're very nutritious. I mean, they, you know, if we want to look at certain nutrients, they contain the, the greater concentrations, you know, liver is, is, is vitamin packed. I have been fully supportive of people eating that. I think right. if you want to, it's great. Um, I think for some people there is an added benefit, uh, but the results, and you know, I've surveyed literally 10,000 plus people. I mean, the results don't seem to show any significant advantage in the general population. And, and therefore I, I just can't say, everybody must do this. I mean, right. I think it's, it's up to you to individualize and experiment with that. Um, I don't think 
the lack of organ meats in the diet is, is, is preventing you from reaching some next level. You know, I know some people have characterized it as a JV team versus a varsity team. Right. I don't think that's the case. I mean, I, I mean, literally I've sat here for three years. I've literally broken world records as an athlete eating nothing but basically steak, maybe a few eggs right. without, the, without the organ meats. And so I, I just, I, I disagree with that. Um, I think it also, if, if people are told that they have to do that to succeed, a lot of people aren't going to do it because a lot of people just flat out don't like them. Right. And, you know, and, and I, and like I said, I think the, the nutritional value of a food you don't like is effectively zero because you're not going to eat it anyway. And if you tell somebody you must do this to optimize or be the best you can be, you're going to, you're going to turn away 80% of your potential wins. And I think right. what we need to do is have as many wins as possible. And if we can take, you know, the, the, the mom, the single mom that's struggling, uh, with, with kids, it doesn't, you know, can't afford access to the highest quality grass finished regeneratively raised meat and organ meats and, and doesn't like them or kids don't like them. And you're telling her, Oh, well, then just go back to eating your standard American diet. I think there's a much better option. And quite honestly, I think you can go and get, you know, just the meat you can afford. And, and clearly that's occurring and they're getting healthy. I mean, I've just seen this over and over again. It's not that we should not be promoting, uh, you know, a, a improvement in our, in our agriculture and our livestock rearing. I think we should, we should be promoting regenerative pasturing and those things we need to get behind that. But, you know, we have to keep the message separate. We have to say, this is for yeah. health and this is for the environment. If you can, if you can help with the environment, great. If you, if you can't right now, do what you can get healthy. If you get healthy, you're helping the environment because sick people contribute to the healthcare system, <laughs> which puts out 10% of our greenhouse gases. Right. In. So it's right. kind of like, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of ways you can do it, but the first thing has to go with, with helping your own health. So for people that, you know, they read around and then they're like, okay, I'm concerned about, let's just say a vitamin E deficiency or some imbalance between copper to zinc or methionine to glycine, uh, what do you tell them if you're worried about it, eat some organs or don't worry about it? Yeah. I mean, I think if they're, if they're, um, there's a, this sort of concept of, uh, you know, do the basics right. And, and don't sweat the small stuff. Cause you're really starting to get into these tiny things. And, you know, I, you know, I look at this when people start saying like methionine glycine, well, that's based on some rat studies. Yep. That you, there was some aging in, in rats there. They had too much methionine relative to glycine, but it doesn't really hold. It's not been shown to proven in humans. And we also know that human beings, when you restrict carbohydrates, their glycine absorption rate goes up. And so we, there's study, I looked into this, I said, well, look, when you don't take in glucose or, or galactose, um, your glycine absorption goes up significantly, like something like 400%. So it's like there are compensations that our body makes when we're eating this food and it doesn't you know when we try to i liken it to trying to stick a a, a square peg in a round hole we're trying to make a carnivore diet fit a standard american diet with regard to the rdas and i just yeah. don't think that i just don't think you need to do that and so um again if somebody's showing up with a vitamin e deficiency or a folate deficiency or, or a vitamin c deficiency it's not presenting clinically in any way. I've not seen any evidence of that thus far. And so I just have to say, let's see, you know, this, this is our input and this is our output. And there's 8,000 steps in between there, which we don't know all of them. So all we, all we really care about, all, all I care about as a, as a clinician and as a person is what is my, what is, what is, what is, what's happening to me physically, clinically, performance-wise, function-wise, feeling-wise, body composition-wise. That is the important part. And whether I've got, you know, 
X amount of my methionine versus glycine, or my ketone level is this, or you know my whatever, whatever. Ultimately, that takes a backseat to what's actually happened to you clinically. And I think that's what most people ultimately care about. I mean, if I told you, Kevin, your LDL was, you know, 20 points higher than, than optimal and you well, said, it's over, it's over that it's more than a hundred over that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whatever, you know what I'm saying. But I'm just yeah. saying, at some point you have to say, what is important to me, you know, today, what, what's going on with my health. And, and I just, I, I try to get away from this. I try to look at a really big picture. And I mean, we become, we, we've got, listen, we've got more access to tests, uh, whether it's lab tests or imaging or monitoring tests than we've ever had ever. And it has not made us a healthier society. I mean, you know, our, our grandparents, as a general rule, their generation was far healthier than us, and they had access probably to a blood pressure and a couple labs, and that was it. And now we've got, you know, 24-7 monitoring of everything. We're hyper-focused. We're anxious. We're apping everything. We're, we're, we're monitoring everything. And I think it's just a lot of, just a lot of nothing. Yeah, I think I think my generation is the first generation uh, that has a decreased life expectancy versus our parents. Uh, so that, I mean, and that's taking into account that you know we're smoking less, we have all these medical advancements, and yet we're we're going to still die earlier. Which you know, what what are we going to contribute that to? Right, our, our, our food probably. Uh, all right, so we we're talking a little bit about lab work there because we are. I, one of the interesting thing about a carnivore community, especially it's kind of like, if you look at the adoption curve, it's like, we're at like the innovator early adopter area of the curve. And I feel like people here are more likely to be measuring and monitoring and testing this and that, which, which I think comes with pros and cons. Uh, but if you, if someone says, okay, I've been eating a carnivore diet for a year, I'm going to get my blood work done. Uh, is there something in particular I should look out for to make sure like I'm not dying that might show up on a carnivore test? Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, and again, it depends on the age and the situation. You know, if you're, if you're, if you're treating a disease and you should probably measure metrics that, that pertain right. to it, you know, I think yeah. that, that just makes sense. I mean, for the average person, I mean, gosh, there's so many like weight to heist ratio. I mean, what's going on with your body count? That is such a huge indicator of chronic you know, cr the chronic health that you have, you know, and I, I think that, uh, you know, coronary artery calcium scan is another one, the, the carotid intermedial thickness scan, if we're, we're talking about cardiovascular disease, those things make sense to me. You know, if we start saying, I'm going to measure my uh, blood lipids, and then it becomes, well, what are you going to measure? Are you going to, are you going to restrict it to the typical HDL, LDL, triglycerides, and total cholesterol, which is very, very rudimentary information. And, and if one is up, you know, maybe it means something, but, but you have to get more information. Right. Maybe it doesn't. Then you have to say, well, then I need, maybe you don't need to look at your, your, uh, your inflammatory status, you know, your, and then maybe you need to look at your glycemic status. And if you're going to look at glucose, maybe you need to look at insulin and then it becomes on and on and on. And it's just kind of like every, you know, like I said, with, with kidney function, I, I don't know if you're, I've talked about this a little bit. You know, we see a lot of people on a carnivore diet where their creatinine's up a little bit or the yep. BUN's up a little bit or the GFR looks like it was down a little bit. And GF, uh, GFR is based on the calculation from creatinine. So if your creatinine is up, your GFR is going to go down. Yep. And so we can look outside something called a cisplatin C or cisplatin C rather. And that is a test that excludes protein intake because these things are confounded by protein. And so it becomes the more you test, the more questions you raise. Um, you know, if you're symptomatic, I mean, then yeah, that might make sense. You know, if you've got uh, symptoms of fatigue and lethargy, let's say it's going on with your thyroid. If you've got, um, you know, 
you know, if there, if there's something that's going on, I mean, if you had some sores in your mouth or some, maybe it's a folate deficiency, I've never seen that occur. Right. If you're tired all the time, check your CBC. If, if you've got some kind of anemia going on, I mean, there are potential concerns, you know, people would say, well, vitamin C status might be low, folate might be low, iron, iron might accumulate. That's just not, not occurring. I'm just, I'm just not seeing that on any consistent basis. Some people would be concerned about homocysteine, you know, if they've got certain, you know, obviously gene, uh, uh, genotypes, I suppose. Uh, but again, I'm just, you can check it if you want. I've not seen it. And you, well, I can tell people we can check a hundred labs on anybody. And we're going to find probably 10 to 20 of them. We're going to be out of range just on basis of alone, just on randomization, I guess. And, right. uh, so, I mean, I, I really just say, what are your symptoms? What are you checking? And we've got this huge, you know, LabQuest, you know, or, or Quest LabCorp, these, these companies are popping up and they're happy to sell you tests and money on it. So we're, we're testing, testing. These guys are all ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching every time you get a blood test. And I don't know if it's making your health any better, quite honestly. Right. right. So one thing that I'm sure you get asked a lot, I get asked a lot as carnivore and various athletes, whether it's body composition, we'll just call that bodybuilding side versus uh, athletic performance like, you know, glycolytic anaerobic strength power i think the question people have is not can you do these things because i mean obviously you can just look you're you're alive i'm alive <laughs> so they can be done i think what people want to know in these questions is is this an optimal way to get to my goal and you know everyone's going to have a different goal uh but what are your thoughts around carnivore and hitting these performance goals are carbs, could carbs help optimize? What, what, what are your stance on those things? Yeah, I mean, I, could they help? Absolutely, they could. I mean, I think that's, again, that's obviously athlete and sport dependent, and, yep. it, and, it, and it may change in the athlete's life. You know, I'm in my 50s, and for me, I'm, I, you know, I'm very competitive. I want to win world records. I'm going to do what it takes. And if it, if it, if it took me eating, you know, some, some, some more carbohydrates in my diet, I'll absolutely do that. You know, as it stands right now, I've done the best of my own personal performance, you know, basically on meat. In fact, I'm getting ready to com to compete at the world championships in, in Paris, France, uh, in, in February. So right now my diet is strict red meat and water. And that's how I, that's how I overall perform the best because I feel the best. I don't have joint pain. I don't have digestive issues. I, I want to train every day and that's going to cumulatively give me a better result. Now, could I on one day on any given performance if i were to carb load and you know assuming it didn't mess up my stomach and i didn't right. have any digestive issues could i perform slightly better yeah that you can make that argument um i did that for years on a cyclic ketogenic diet and you know what i saw was the performance increase was was relatively minimal and the the negative digestive distress was was worse for me so right. i mean it's and, and not everybody experiences that there may be some 25 year old that's you know he's fine he doesn't he hasn't had the years of accumulation of, of, of damage from from a poor diet like i did you know for my first 50 years and right. so um but i would say that when we when we define like what is a normal wild human you know and i think this is a the very important discussion because i would say um a normal human in the wild would probably thrive on you know relatively fatty meat you know maybe they had some berries and access to a few plants here and there but but the, the, pr the principal diet is going to be meat and, and probably a fatty type of meat and they're going to end up 
with a certain amount of capacity. They're going to have a certain amount of body fat. They're not going to be a shredded fitness competitor. They're not going to be a bodybuilder. And so when you start saying, what do I need to do to get outside of normal human physiology? And then I think you have to do things that aren't physiologically appropriate for human beings. And those things may be eating, you know, really, really, really low fat, lean meats. Um, you might be calorically restricting to get shredded. I mean, that's that, that clearly, if I want to get really lean, I mean, I eat lean meat and I, and I eat a little less. I mean, that clearly works for me. Do yep. I like doing that? Is it enjoyable for me? Not particularly, not really. Right. Am I happy being, you know, 12, 14% body fat uh, and strong as I want to be and feeling good? Yeah, that's pretty good. And, 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 and guess what? You can eat as much as you want. Uh, and you get to eat nice big ribeyes, which tastes good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of like that, you know. Um, but, you know, the other thing is what sports. So if we're looking at, like, weightlifting, you know, it's, it's, it's it really, the fuel source is not, it's all the creatinine phosphate system. I mean, it's right. all, you know, it doesn't matter how much glucose or glycogen you have for the most. There's, there's, a, there's arguably a little bit used, but I mean, you're going to have enough. You have enough to do the, the right. rep or the activity. Right. right. You've got enough to do a snatch. I mean, you're not going you know, <laughs> to, you know, you got enough to do a deadlift. I mean, for a right. max lift. So I don't think it's, it's really crucial in those particular sports. Um, when you get into, you know, some, some degree of glycolytic stuff. And I do a highly glycolytically demanding sport. Right but it's very short and I, and I got plenty of glycogen. I've got plenty of blood cause I'm eating enough protein gluconeogenesis, which we know refills our stores overnight. Unless you're yep. training like four or five workouts a day, maybe if you're doing CrossFit watch and you're doing two or three, then it becomes a challenge. Yep. I think some of the intermediate distances like a marathon, like an Olympic marathon at, you know, sub two thirty or you know, two, you know, obviously they just broke the two minute barrier kind of unofficially that may require you know some some carbohydrates most people don't need it most people aren't doing that even guys that are competing in mixed mesh martial arts and some crossfit athletes and guys like you know, owen franks a new zealand all-black rugby player were playing basically with essentially no carbohydrates and doing quite well with that uh on the other side you've got the long long distance guys that are doing well there are plenty of them that are running marathons or, or ultra marathons even without any carbs i mean that's happening right. i know zach better does take a little bit of carbs when he does his 100 mile, miles and breaks records um the optimization thing is something i think is kind of individual i think many people it takes a long time for an athlete to adapt adapt in my experience and, and, and what i've seen and it's something that it might take three to six months to sort of adapt to a low carb or even a no carb approach for athletes. And, and until they actually do that, their body may not fully adapt to that. And so for me, um, I still use a lot of glucose. I mean, I, I, what I do requires quite a bit of glucose and I just get it because I eat enough protein. I think that's yeah. the difference between the ketogenic diet, which has been studied, you know, to some degree in sports physiology, but it's usually short adaptation time. And I think they're under protein uh, those athletes are not taking in enough protein if they're sticking to these 80, 10, 10 keto macros, which I think is just, you know, short, short, short shrifting them on protein. Yep. So, um, you know, that, that was my, my one hard lesson before carnivores. I did a very strict ketogenic diet and just, I lost a ton of muscle mass, uh, in a pretty short amount of time. So, you know, people ask me if they should be restricting protein and I'm, almost in all cases i'm like no not but i mean you should be eating fat but you know restricting protein is a uh can be quite counterproductive to what most people's goals are yeah i would agree i mean i think there's maybe some medical conditions where where you know being very strictly in ketosis and keeping your glucose ketone index uh, appropriate is is appropriate but for the average person particularly an athlete i think right. restricting protein is probably for most people uh, a net negative 
Yeah. So have you found any, I guess, from a macronutrient standpoint, differences between men and women? Because I get this, this question a lot. And I just, my experience is the goals tend to be different. So that's why I'm like, they don't do better necessarily on one versus the other macronutrient ratio, but to tailor towards various goals, they might, you know, have different uh, macros. Right. What, do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, for one, many women come, come to this diet from a background of salad and, and fish and lean yeah. chicken. And, yep. and, and then when you start saying, Hey, try eating a, a big fatty cut of red meat, uh, a lot of them have digestive issues because yep. they're just not used to that. And so they, they may have to, you know, the lipases and maybe their gallbladder sluggish or something, you know, something, and they have to sort of that has to kind of kick back in, so to speak. And sometimes it takes a bit of time. And so many women don't feel good on that. They're averse to that. They've been, they've been shunning fat for years. And it's not that I'm telling them to gorge on fat necessarily, but you, you get enough. Um, there are, you know, I guess, again, it depends on the women. I mean, I think there are women that want to be physique competitors, you know, again, same sort of thing as that we, we just talked about. Right. They're going to do better on a higher protein relative to fat ratio. Now, I do think Fat is vitally important. You know, we've got essential fats. Uh, we've got, you know, you've got to get them in. Um, you know, how much is essential versus how much produce you need to make ketones is probably a little bit different in my opinion. Right. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So it's uh, kind of talking a little about transitioning into carnivore. You know, I've written about this uh, in a guide that it got downloaded a lot. And I recommend it just for people that are struggling Electrolyte supplements, like you said, lipase is baked, uh, you know, some HCL if you need some stomach acid. Uh, are there any supplements that you recommend for people either during a transition or even, you know, long term? Um, I think that, again, so we have to, it depends on who you're talking to. So yeah. there are some people that are, you know, like gastric bypass patients. I mean, these guys have had part of their digestive tract, right. so they don't absorb. So there are certain people that will need to probably continue to take supplements. Yeah. Um, so if we have a known deficiency, it may make sense to supplement. Now, you, that, these may be a candidate for, for the organ meat situation because you can pretty much get every, almost every supplement, I mean, you would think nutrient from, from animals if you, if you, you know, sort of mix it well. Right. Um, a lot of people with electrolytes, I mean, this is, this is a really, uh, I think a, a really interesting topic and one I don't think we quite fully comprehend because some people will, um, do better with, uh, a little bit of electrolytes. Some people tend to require a lot. And I think some of it has to do with activity level. I think if yep. you're out training hard, sweating hard, sweating out all your salt, you probably need to replace that. Yep. I would say, I mean, and I think, is there a feedback mechanism probably for most people taste is, is a pretty good guy, but some people need to do beyond that. I know for when I train, particularly if I'm doing a, a particularly hard session, I'll just sodium, you know, I'll just salt load just, it, just because of the fact that in absence of carbohydrates, we have a little less water and, and water, particularly as, it, as our muscles fill up with water, as our vasculature fills up with water, you train better. And so and people talk about the pump and they feel better. And so I will, I will do a little salt loading right before I train. You know, I might, I might take, you know, a teaspoon, teaspoon, a half right. of salt in a bunch of water. And that fills me up vascularly. So that can be helpful. Do you um, track sodium beyond that? Do I track it beyond that? No, not really. Just I kind mean, of ballpark I, for feel. Yeah. You get yeah, a feel I mean, of it. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm not, a, I'm not a meticulous tracker person. I just, it's just, it's too much of a pain in the butt, you know? So yeah. I'm just kind of like, I'm not, like I said, if I were, if I were dialing down for a bodybuilding contest, then that would be a different story. You know, like I said, I'm, I'm, focused on performance for me. Yep. I think the other thing, you know, some people like to talk about vitamin D and, 
and yep. those types of things and vitamin K. And, and, and so I'm, I've kind of gotten mixed. So the, the negative of supplementing for most people is probably minimal. There are some people say that some of the supplements and, and the, the way they're delivered can be disruptive to the intestinal permeability because they make these pills. So they're designed to be better absorption. They do that by sometimes disrupting our intestinal permeability. So it's kind of like, it can be a problem for people. So some people with autoimmune disease are struggling with that. They may do better avoiding those supplements. Now, other people, um, this is the thing with vitamin D and most people don't realize is vitamin D has pretty significant diurnal variability. And so, because I looked into this, I, every, the first thing I do when somebody tells me about a level, I say, well, what's the diurnal variability? That is to say, what is it, what is it at 8 o'clock in the morning versus 2 o'clock in the afternoon? And if it's a big difference, man, it could just be depending on the time of the day you took it. So these reference ranges kind of get, kind of get wonky. And so yeah. vitamin D has got about a 30% difference between morning and afternoon. So, you know, if you're, if you're, if we're, we're going to call 30, you know, and I can't remember that if it's nanograms per dust, I can't remember the, the, the actual units on this, but if we're going to say 30 is, is, is normal. You know, the vitamin D size is 40, the endocrine size is 30 and, like IOM says 20 or something like that. There's all yeah. different variations. Vitamin D society was, there, there's probably some evidence that that was a little fraudulently elevated. <laughs> I was selling vitamin D supplements. Right. So let's say it's, let's say it's 28 and you're like, oh my gosh, it's, I'm too low. I need to get more sun or take more vitamin D supplements. And then you say, well, why don't you just check it tomorrow, three hours later and now it's 36 and you're like, oh, I'm good. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where, and, and the record on vitamin D supplementation just in general has not been good if you look through the literature, but not so not, so they end up recommending super giant doses because they're like, well, this didn't work. We tried more and that didn't work. So we got to just try so much. Yep. And it's interesting. Again, I, I would put this down and say, I just don't think, I don't think we know there's, there's data on like, you know, I look back in this from the. 1920s and they were looking at two different populations of Inuit in Greenland and one in one group of Inuit was eating the traditional diet and you know they're not seeing they're, you know, they're living in Greenland so they don't get any sun so they had relatively low serum vitamin D levels yep. but they had no clinical deficiencies you know once you but once you fed the, those Greenland Inuit a mixed diet you know we see another population same vitamin D level uh, but they added flour and, and grain and you know canned goods even with the same low level of vitamin D, these people now start developing rickets and other vitamin yep. D deficiency symptoms. So we're like, maybe those levels, even the serum levels, depend upon what your baseline diet is. And so I'm, I'm you know, I, I just think we just don't know the answer. I mean, the, the safe thing is, yeah, if your levels are low based on the RDA, take a supplement, probably not going to kill you unless you've got some gut susceptibility issues. Right. Um, but I, I'm, again, I'm just like, we just don't know. That's, that's the problem. Right. And I always, I, I've been thinking like people think about a supplement, you know, only that it could help with, and they don't think about, you know, could this actually be doing more harm than good? And I think a lot of times supplements, uh, at least we don't even consider that downside impact of supplements, like going overboard on, on things, which, uh, I think is actually probably, uh, an issue. Uh, so as far as, your daily food. I think I know what it is pretty good, but what's the day in the life of, you know, Dr. Sean Baker's meal plan? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, uh, I eat to satiety. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have any particular sort of fasting window or anything like that. Most days is twice a day. I mean, that's just my natural, what works for me. I feel yep. best on that. I eat kind of when I'm hungry. I eat till I'm full generally it's the same because you know my days are generally kind of the same thing yep um 
I eat, you know, a lot of red meat. You know, what, what you're looking at behind me, I eat a lot of steak. I eat a lot of fatty steak. Um, you know, right now I'm eating nothing but that, but just because I'm training for these championships. But often, you know, I would say I'll, if I feel like some eggs, I'll throw some eggs in there. If I feel like some seafood, I'll throw some salmon, some shrimp in there. Uh, sometimes I'll have a little bit of dairy, but uh, to be truth, truth to be told, dairy for me is something that if I eat very much of it, I just feel just not as good. Yep. And it's not that I have a horrible reaction or anything. I just feel my body, I get a little fatter. I don't feel as good. Um, so I, I tend to, to minimize that. Sometimes I'll have spices in my food, uh, you know, particularly if I'm going out. I don't freak out if, if I go to a restaurant and they threw some herb butter on the steak, right. I'll eat it. Right. I'm, not, I'm not at a point where I get some sort of horrible reaction if I do yeah. that. But I honestly, you know, and people ask, don't you get bored of that? And, and the answer is, I mean, I literally look forward to every meal. I'm, I'm literally like, you know, my dogs, when I feed them their meat in the morning, they're like the happiest. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're jumping up and down. They're salivating. And I'm that's how you feel. <laughs> cooking, cooking my steak, dancing yeah. around. I'm drooling a little bit. Yeah. And I mean, that's every meal for me. And you think about it. I mean, you know, when is the last time? You know, if you have a well-prepared, nice steak, it's pretty rare you say, wow, this sucks. Now, you know, right. say, well, maybe I should be having pizza or ice cream or something I would miss. Because uh, people ask me, you know, what would you eat on a diet if you could add something else in? I said, well, I'd just eat some damn ice cream or a piece of cake because that's something I would actually enjoy. Yeah. I don't feel that I'm missing, like, I'm, I'm not missing out on any taste sensation by not eating broccoli or spinach. I right. just didn't like that stuff much in the first place. And I don't really find that bread and, and pasta that all that satisfying to me it's kind of whatever yeah it's kind of like you know it's kind of like this is what really satiates you and satisfies you and i think that just i think there's an evolutionary reason for that i mean i think there is i think the foods the food industry has hacked into our into our satiety and appetite and our taste stuff and created this sort of food that kind of mimics what we're supposed to get but in the end of the day it leaves us feeling flat and short And, and you know it's kind of like it's just, you know, people, I tell people, do you get tired of breathing the same air every day? <laughs> it's like, you know, you don't want flavored air or multicolored air. Or when you go to the bathroom, are you worried that it's always yellowish or clear yellow? I mean, you, you, don't, right. you don't want it red or rainbow colored or green or blue. It's just, it's the same thing over and over. It's just, a, it's a, eating is just a natural body, bodily physiologic function. Any animal in the wild, you know, they, they very, very little variety. I mean, they eat yeah. the same things over and over again for the most part. They only have access to maybe a handful of foods. And humans were like that probably for most of our evolution. It's only in the last, you know, really 50 to 100 years that we've really had this just tremendous variety and it's unnatural. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's a good way of looking at it because it's like, I don't get bored of going to the gym every day. I go to the same gym every day. I actually do similar exercises on a weekly basis. I don't get bored of going to the same bed and sleeping in the same bed. Like that's perfectly good for me. It's very comfortable. Uh, and, and speaking of sleep, I get a lot of questions of people that struggle with some insomnia, especially early on. Uh, any recommendations for them? Yeah. I mean, that is a common issue. And, and I think that, uh, uh, early on, so a couple things are going on. I think one, people are just so energized; they just they just wired. They can't sleep. They've got so much energy. Um, I think that's going on. I think some people, if they eat too close to bedtime, you know, protein tends to stimulate you to to, to de- deaminate that protein and, and right. get rid of it by you know ammonia or to urea, and so you end up urinating. And so some people, just because they've eaten a big protein meal too close to bedtime, they end up having to wake up in the middle of the night because the bladder wakes them up. And I think yeah. that's going on. Uh, you know, obviously sleep hygiene is important. You got to make sure yep. you're on point with that stuff. But I find that, uh, 
for me, um, if I eat a little earlier in the evening, you know, so like maybe I'm eating dinner at 5 p.m., 6 p.m. rather than 8 or 9 uh, and going to bed at 10 o'clock, then, then I, I sleep a lot better. Hmm. Um, I find that, uh, you know, again, this transition thing, once you kind of sort of, you know, kind of come to this equilibrium with your energy because your energy, you know, may be very high when you're getting all this nutritious food, um, you know, initially that, that, that may, may disrupt your sleep. I find that most people, and I found this myself, once you kind of get into it, my sleep latency is next to nothing. I mean, out my bed, I hit the pillow and I'm out in like 10 minutes. That's how I am. sit there and look at the ceiling and yeah. it might be an hour before you fall asleep. I fall asleep like a rock and I sleep consistently most nights, but it's a little reduced from what I used to sleep. So, I mean, it, or what I require, because I think I get six and a half, maybe seven hours of sleep and then I'm up. I mean, it's like 5 a.m. I'm like, boom, ready, ready, ready to go. go. Yep. And I'm rested and I can perform well. And I think that's in contrast to before, you know, where, where, you know, you get up seven with the alarm clock and you're like, oh man, I'm so tired. And, right. But I'm, I'm consistently energized and I consistently get good sleep. But yeah, in the beginning, I think there's, there's, there's some of that going on. And you know, some, think, some of it's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, do you think cortisol can play a role with lowered insulin, especially early on and, you know, doing more gluconeogenesis to convert some of that uh, into blood sugar and glycogen? these elevated cortisol later in the day, perhaps interfering with whether it's sleep latency or getting up earlier in the morning. I mean, certainly, I mean, I, I don't doubt it could impact us. I think there's just so many, there's going to be so many different things going on during the transition period. And yes, your yeah. insulin will almost always go down pretty significantly. Yeah. This is one of the most effective ways to reduce uh, hyperinsulinemia. You know, we've yeah. got, you probably have the lowest fasting insulins and you probably have, if we were to look at an area under the curve on insulin, we'd probably see the lowest levels of insulin of any diet outside of maybe starvation where you don't eat at all. But I mean, that's obviously not sustainable. Uh, so, you know, is it, cause people talk about this, you know, this cortisol effect. And I think that is a, a transient effect during an adaptation. That's what I feel like too. Now, any diet, any ma major change in your diet is going to produce a stress response, you yep. know, and, and, you know, going, if I were to go on a vegan diet, my cortisol level would probably go up. You know, first of all, it would, it would be very stressful. You might just die like instantly. <laughs> I could die. I could die instantly, but you know, but, but no, but I mean, I'm just saying that these people that, they, they, again, this is a problem with short term data. Like I've seen people where they'll do a three day study on a diet. I'm like, what is the point of that? You know, it's kind of like there's so many things that occur over weeks and months that, that sort of normalize that. And so it'd be interesting to see cortisol levels on long-term carnivores. And maybe we can get that, that data because most people don't check it. I've seen, yeah. I've seen a handful of cortisol levels on people that sent me their labs and it's generally been normal, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's uh, we have a lot of concerns uh, that people will talk about just because they haven't studied something. And clinically, it doesn't appear to be showing up, at least to any significant levels that I've seen so far. Yeah, and one of the things I see is people have a tendency to take a hormone or something and label it as bad or good. And so we label cortisol as bad. We label maybe IGF-1 as bad. We label insulin as bad. All these things play a role in the body are very important for, very, for many, many processes. And just to label something good, bad is, you know, we're often just one-sided and that's a, that's a mistake. Uh, but so I, I, I had a couple of questions uh, that I'm just interested in. And one is as you train for worlds, are you going into it? Do you try and drop body weight to perform at your best? Or are you trying to build up muscle? Like what's your strategy going into that? Yeah. So, I mean, the event I'm going to be competing in is 500 meters. And so that is a combination of being very strong and also very fit. And so, right. <laughs> 
Um, my goal, obviously, is to be – the ideal thing would be a lot of muscle, very little body fat, you know, very, very fit. And so right now um, I am – relatively lean i'm relatively strong and i'm relatively fit and so i'm, I'm working on basically training i'll be training some just basic heavy strength training movements to get stronger uh, probably probably mostly through my deadlift uh, i'll be training some very intense conditioning type things like right now the event i'm focusing on is a 500 meter right now my, my conditioning is for the thousand meter because i want to hopefully during the build up this i'll knock off a thousand meter world record in the in the build up and so i'm kind of focusing on that that aspect of it right now, and it's 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 I, I get in there, and almost every time I get on the damn machine, it's it's a really hard effort. I mean, yeah. I, I'm I'm it, it, I, I don't like it. It's not fun. Yeah. Never, and it's, it's it's painful. I know there's there's going to be suffering every time I get on that thing, and so I'm working on. It. But but my eating strategy right now is I'm just listening to my appetite right now. Um, I'm probably a little lighter than I want to be. I'm probably I'd like to put on about five pounds of body weight. Okay. Uh, hopefully it's it's more muscle and less fat. But that's that is that is one struggle I would say that people experience in a carnivore diet. It is tough to eat past satiety, and I think you need to eat past satiety to gain muscle after a certain point. You know, particularly at you know my I'm almost 53. I've been training forever. For more advanced trainers, yeah. Right. It's tough, and so you've got to literally just eat till it literally becomes uncomfortable yeah i mean to put on muscle and i think that's what that's a problem and it's and i think that's one of the reasons why carbohydrates because it's easier to eat calories and carbohydrates yeah. than it is in meat in some cases and that's why some of these athletes are really really big guys uh you know they may eat a lot of protein a lot of meat but they add that carbohydrate in or just because they can get into that caloric sur surplus easier it's not that you can't do it with meat but you've got to really be motivated to to right to, to eat a lot and, and it's sometimes it's not a fun fun deal all right so i know we're running up on on time here one one last question that i'm kind of curious about is as someone that does a lot of writing a lot of research uh what was your writing process like for the book i know it was a long process yeah i mean i i you know it was kind of one in spurts i get inspired and i it would do like a you know just a flow of yep. you know thoughts and words and and you know it was kind of a, it was kind of a start and stop start and stop type of thing but particularly when dealing with a publisher, you know, I would send this in and the editor would say, you need more of this, you, you know, we need to move this and that around. And like the, the, the part you talked about at the beginning, which was kind of my story, the, the uh, autobiographical stuff, I didn't even have that in the book. And the publisher said, you need to put something in. And so I wrote a big, a big long thing. And they ended up, it was, it was, I had a lot of sort of in your face, uh, uh, somewhat disturbing real life stuff from medicine, stuff I experienced in medicine and more. Yeah. And they, they ended up saying, maybe that's a little too much for the average reader uh, for, for, for a diet book. And so we ended up taking that out. And I, and I you know, I'm kind of ambivalent about that. I, I understand we got to, we don't want to kind of, kind of disturb too many people at the same time. It was, it was good information, I thought. But, yeah, uh, that, that truth, the truth hurts sometimes. And I think, you know, better off, people are better off, you know, if they feel that pain, but then, then you know, you see what, this is real life. This is, this is what happens. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, I'm, I am not like, I know we talked about, I don't really necessarily like love writing. I mean, it's laborious. Right. It's not like I sit there and it's like fun. I'd rather go run around with my kids and, and exercise and, and I like talking better. I mean, it's just, right. it's just, uh, you know, it's a job, it's work. And I, it's not something that I necessarily like, I love to write. I'm not, I've never been a writer. I mean, I remember hating English class as a kid growing up. I was like, ah, I don't like this stuff. You know, I mean, I've got to, you know, I can, I can at least, you know, I can do it if I need to. Right. I, I think, I think the book I wrote was, 
accessible to a lot of people. And so I, th- I thought about, you know, the goal, I was like, who am I writing for? I'm not, and I'm not necessarily writing for people that know carnivore that, that, you know, I'm not trying to sort of deepen their knowledge tremendously because I think what I want to do is reach the, the, the average mass with a compelling argument, make it accessible, make it understandable and not bog them down with too many scientific details. Not that the book was short on science. There's plenty of that in there, but at the same time, I didn't want it to be a tome of, you know, you know, for, for just a minority of people that are going to say, Oh, look at this, this little study here. And this proves it. I think, again, the evidence speaks for itself. I mean, the results speak for themselves. And I think that's really what I'm trying to get out, get, get, get out through the book. Well, I think, you know, as someone that's, you know, studied a lot of this in quite depth, I'm super excited to read your book. And I know I might not be the the target demographic that it's aimed at, but I think, you know, one of my kind of tenets of life is like, if you're always learning like that, I mean, always be learning. And I'm sure I'm going to get stuff out of this book. I think, you know, anyone that's done this diet for even any amount of time is going to get something out of it. And then, as you said, probably people that uh, this is an introduction to this way of eating is probably going to get just an tremendous amount of value from it. Uh, So we're at an hour. Thank you so much for the time. Like, this has been a real pleasure. Like I said, I am super excited to dive into the book. Uh, It's available now, right? Yeah. And the website's up. MeetRx.com is up. Yep, we're up. We 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 were hit with a like I said, we got inundated when we opened, and it, was, it slowed the server down. But we kind of I think we fixed that. My, uh, uh, you know, like I said, the CTO fixed that, and so we are we are you know, we are training. We already trained several coaches. We're taking new ones in. We'll you know hopefully get a cadre of coaches, and then we'll start getting clients. And and like I said, I'm 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 really serious about you know disrupting and changing the way we 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 look at health, and and, and I think. You know, I, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir here, but I think this is one of the most effective things you can do for bringing health to people, uh, you know, sort of just about any other intervention I can think of. And, right. you know, if we can make it affordable to the masses and get that message out there, I think we're going to do a great service to our population. Um, but, yeah, that's it. But yeah, yeah, I, I, you've done a great service to the population already. So, you know, on behalf of everyone, thank you. <laughs> Well, I appreciate it, Kevin. Same thing. Likewise with you. Um, you know, I, I, like I said, the book is uh, out, you know, worldwide distribution. It's, it's electronic, it's hard copy, and then we'll do a audible version coming up. I know the publishers, we've got that in the works, and then we'll probably end up getting translations, I would suspect, particularly if this does well, which, I think, which it appears to be doing. So we'll probably have to translate it in several languages for people around the world to read it. And I think it'll hopefully be the kind of the, the entry point for many, many, hopefully even millions of people into the carnivore diet, which I think would be a great way to sort of really, you know, put this information and, and bring it to the attention to, to the to the vast population and say, let's figure this stuff out because we spent trillions of dollars and countless lives and suffering not doing the right thing. And, and I'd like to see that change. Awesome. Well, looking forward to it. And again, thanks for the time. It was great to catch up again. And I'm sure I'll be talking with you sometime soon. Perfect, Kim. Thanks. All right. See you, Sean. Keep the radio going. Dr. Kevin Stock has more coming your way. For exclusive content, visit www.kevinstock.io.